This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please turn in your Bibles with me to the book of 2 Corinthians. I mentioned this morning that we're going to be studying the uh, book of 2 Corinthians, uh, at least for this fall, but perhaps beyond. Uh, tonight we're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. 2 Corinthians 1, 1 through 11. Hear the word of God. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is in Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Let us pray. Gracious Father, As we take up the study of this book and this passage this evening, we pray the leading, the teaching, the light of your Holy Spirit. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Few things are as difficult in the Christian life as the experience of suffering. Suffering can come in all kinds of forms, of course. Sometimes it might be suffering brought upon us from without uh, because of the sins of other people against us uh, in the form of abuse or persecution or indifference or whatever it might be. Sometimes that suffering comes from within our own struggles with sin in our lives. Uh, even physical suffering and affliction in the form of illness, form of injury, uh, the weakening of the body with age, whatever the case may be. 
And for Christians, there often is the tension that we feel between the pain that we experience in this life and the knowledge that we have a God in heaven who is sovereign, whom we believe to be in control, whom we believe to be good, whom we believe to have our best interests at heart, and it's very easy to ask, why? And it's sometimes painful to think when we are sick, or perhaps worse, a child or a loved one is ill, that God could make that go away in a second if He wanted to. Or God could have prevented that death if He wanted to. And there's a a, a dissonance, a conflict, a tension in the heart of every believer when faced with the pain of suffering and the power and knowledge of God why these things happen. Well, Paul was certainly no stranger to suffering, and Paul had as good a grasp as any before or after on the nature of God in terms of his sovereignty, in terms of his goodness, in terms of his mercy and love for his children. And in 2 Corinthians generally, and in our passage tonight in particular, Paul talks some about this whole problem of suffering and affliction in the Christian life and the purposes of God in them. This passage is not exhaustive. It's not the last word. It doesn't contain everything that could be said. But it does contain some valuable insights for us in the midst of our affliction, especially as it relates to God and his work and his will in our lives. Before we begin our our look particularly at this passage, it might be helpful by way of introduction to 2 Corinthians to go back and review Paul's relationship with the church in Corinth. Uh, A number of you were here when we studied 1 Corinthians on Sunday mornings. Of course, you will remember in detail every sermon that was preached and all of the dates and relevant data that go along with that. Second Corinthians, of course, comes later, but the, the, the names of the books, first and second Corinthians, are somewhat misleading. Now, Paul's relationship with the church in Corinth was uh, a somewhat painful and, and sometimes tumultuous one, and it would be helpful just to kind of go back and review some of Paul's interactions with the church. First of all, to make it more, more, a little bit more difficult, it might be helpful to know that 1 Corinthians is not actually the first letter Paul wrote, apparently. Uh, we have, as we read these letters, references to other letters. There's one that generally is known as the previous letter. If you'll look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. <clears throat> Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 9, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world. And you'd have to go out of the world. Well, Paul refers to a letter, a letter prior to 1 Corinthians, what we know as 1 Corinthians, that he wrote to the church in Corinth. This is typically referred to as the previous letter uh, that Paul wrote, previous to 1 Corinthians. Now, apparently because of that letter, misunderstandings, that arose out of the previous letter uh, referred to there, together with 
the the decrease, uh, deteriorating conditions uh, in the church in Corinth, Paul then wrote to the church what we know as First Corinthians. We don't have the previous letter, uh, but we do have First Corinthians, which is Paul again addressing problems there in the church. Now it seems that at some point after First Corinthians, Paul made a visit. To Corinth, He refers to this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? Um, this is generally referred to as the painful visit. He refers to, a, I don't want to make another painful visit. So obviously there was a painful visit, a visit where Paul went to Corinth, and apparently things did not go very well. And so we have the previous letter, 1 Corinthians, painful visit, and another letter, typically referred to as the sorrowful letter. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8. Paul, referring to news from Titus from Corinth, says, For even if I, this is uh, chapter 7, verse 8, even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting, for you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. And so apparently, another letter that he wrote that at least as far as we know, we don't have the sorrowful letter, uh, the letter that caused them sorrow, but sorrow that led to repentance. So uh, another, in fact, some have suggested that parts of Second Corinthians may contain some of the sorrowful letter. We don't know. Uh, at any rate, then after that comes the letter that we know as Second Corinthians. So previous letter, First Corinthians 5, 9, the letter First Corinthians, the painful visit, Second Corinthians 2, verse 1. Uh, the sorrowful letter, 2 Corinthians 7, verse 8. And then 2 Corinthians, which was written really uh, with, as that passage indicated, in, in response to good news. Uh, 2 Corinthians takes on a very different tone from 1 Corinthians. It's responding to a good report that his letter was well received, that it produced the intended result of repentance in the church and uh, worked the, uh, accomplished the result that Paul had hoped for. Well, whether you get all that, follow all that, forget all that, uh, that brings us then to 2 Corinthians uh, and gives you a sense of the background of Paul's interactions with the church in Corinth, the church that for all of its sins and difficulties, uh, Paul loved, cared for, uh, spoke highly of, he himself uh, had been involved in planting it, and, uh, and could refer to them as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in spite of all the problems that were there. Well, we want to look this evening uh, at 2 Corinthians, the first passage. By the way, just kind of an outline of the book. Chapters 1 through 7, Paul speaks of his own ministry, uh, particularly some of the aspects of suffering that he endured in his ministry. Uh, chapters 8 through 10, Paul uh, addresses the questions of plans for an offering uh, for the church uh, in Jerusalem. And then in chapters 10 through 12, Paul takes up this whole question of vindication of his authority as an apostle. Now, that, that was part of the theme of 1 Corinthians. Curiously, it seems that there were some who were teaching that the very fact of Paul's suffering indicated that he couldn't be an apostle. 
Well, Paul's argument is, is, is precisely the opposite. His suffering, in fact, vindicates his office as an apostle. So with that in mind, let's look then at uh, verses 1 through 11 here in uh, 2 Corinthians 1. The first two verses are taken up with his greeting, identifies himself, as was common letters of that time. The uh, author of the letter identified himself right up front uh, together with Timothy uh, to the church that is in Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, some, somewhat of a regional audience there as well. Uh, grace to you and peace uh, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as Paul goes into these next verses, 3 through 11, uh, he, he brings up his own sufferings, but he also talks about sufferings generally. He wants them to see that God has his purposes when we suffer, whether it's Paul or the believers there in Corinth. Uh, one of the purposes, and perhaps the overriding purpose that he mentions here for suffering, is that God in our suffering comforts us so that we might comfort others. He comforts us that we might comfort others. Or to put it another way, God ministers to us in our suffering so that we would be equipped and prepared and able to minister to others in their suffering. Now, he does this by reflecting uh, somewhat on the character of God here. First of all, the gift of God. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when Paul mentions Christ here, we could say that's just kind of a formulation. But I think there's more to it than that, uh, particularly in addressing suffering and, and, and the, the purposes of God. Does God care? Is God concerned? If God cared, why would he let me suffer? Why would he let my child suffer? Paul does, uh, first of all, bring up the whole question of the fact that God sent his son into the world to redeem us. Is God distant? Is God uncaring? Is God unconcerned? Of course not. God sent His only Son. How could we, how could we ever think that God is, is not concerned? God is disinterested and detached from what goes on in our lives. So he mentions, first of all, the gift of God. The God and Father, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. His gift. But also reflecting on the relationship of God to our sufferings and comforting in us, he, he refers to the character of God. Look at verse 3 again. He refers to him as the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Father of mercies, God of all comfort. We need to be reminded of that when we're hurting. When we're tempted to think, that God is stern toward us, that God is forbidding toward us, that God has turned his back on us. Sometimes it may seem that God is very different than how Paul describes him here, but we need to remember that he can be called the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. It is God's nature to show mercy, especially to those of us, his children, those of us who are in Christ. He is merciful to us. Uh, he is a God who comes to us with comfort. And so Paul mentions the gift of God, the Lord Jesus. He mentions the character of God, being the Father of mercies, God of all comfort. And then he mentions the help of God to us when we are suffering. He comforts us that we may comfort others. Well, his help 
that Paul mentions in verse 4. Who comforts us in all our affliction. Notice that. Who comforts us in all our affliction. When we are suffering, God comes to us. He comforts us. He is there with us uh, by His Spirit, by His Word, through His people. God comforts us in all kinds of ways, but particularly through His direct ministry, the ministry of His Spirit, by the Word in our hearts. I think this is graphically illustrated uh, in the book of Daniel, where uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were uh, faced with the choice of refusing to bow down and worship or to be thrown in this image or be thrown into the fiery furnace. And of course, you know, they were faithful. Uh, they were willing to be faithful to the Lord even at the cost of their lives. And they were, as you know, thrown into the fiery furnace. But there with them in the furnace uh, was a fourth. One like the Son of God who was present with them there in the furnace. And when they were brought out, there was not even the smell of smoke on their bodies. Um, the Lord was with them. God was present with them. Now, they didn't know that going in. They knew God could deliver them, but they also knew that God may not deliver them. Uh, that for all they knew, they were going to their deaths, and yet God was there present. Well, you say, well, that was them, and yes, they were there, and they could see him and all of that, but yes, they were willing to go into those flames and be consumed in their faithfulness to God. And if that had happened, God is still faithful. If it had happened and there was no other visible being present with them, then certainly it's still the work of God. But the point is this. God is with us in our afflictions. He has not abandoned us. He's still a father of mercies, the God of all comfort. And so knowing that, when we're suffering, we need to say not why, but what. What is God doing? What is God teaching me here? What is God saying to me? What is God equipping me to do through this? Those are the kinds of questions that need to begin to come to our minds. Because God is present and he does comfort us in all our afflictions. Samuel Rutherford, who was a Scottish Presbyterian minister, one of the um, delegates to the Westminster Assembly in London, uh, author of Lex, Rex, The Lost King, other, other writings, uh, because he refused to be Episcopalian, was being banished to Aberdeen to, put, be, to go to jail, be put in prison for his nonconformity, which means he wasn't conforming to the Church of England as being a pesky Presbyterian. He wrote a letter while he was on his way. He said, No king is better provided for than I am. Sweet, sweet, and easy is the cross of my Lord. My chains are overgilded with gold. No pen, no words, no genius can express to you the loveliness of my only Lord Jesus. You see, Rutherford knew the presence, the comfort of Christ, even in his afflictions. Jesus comforts us. He meets us in the fires of trial. Well, as Paul says here, he comforts us, verse 4, so that, for the purpose that, we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Through our sufferings, 
we're equipped to minister to others. And this, this is, occurs on various levels. For one thing, if you have suffered in a particular way and have come through that, then the mere fact that you have been there is an encouragement to someone who may be there now. For example, we've prayed tonight and at other times for people who are unemployed, people who have lost a job, people who are looking for work. Um, What better person to be able to encourage someone who is currently unemployed than someone who once was there and experienced the faithfulness of God, not only in finding work, but in the midst of the difficulty at various levels of unemployment. The mere fact that you have been there means that the person you're speaking to will listen more closely because you have been there. Someone who has suffered bereavement of a parent or maybe even a child will have the ear of someone who is suffering that now because they've been there. Because whether they say it or not, they truly, in a sense, know what that person is going through to the degree that someone who has never been there does not. So that's one level, is the mere fact you've been there equips you to minister. Uh, But at the same time, having gone through that and experienced the goodness, the grace of God in that, equips you and prepares you to minister as well. It matures you. It makes you a stronger Christian. It tempers you and makes you strong and equips you to minister to others. There's a saying, to suffer passes, to have suffered never passes. In other words, the suffering may in time fade, but what is gained, what is learned, the growth that occurs through that suffering is something you will have with you for the rest of your life. And the Lord sometimes accomplishes and equips and prepares us through suffering to do things that he could have equipped us in no other way. Well, Paul then goes on to speak of the pattern uh, here as well, the cross and then the crown. Verse 5, For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. And that is the biblical pattern, and we see that time and again, that we are called to suffer with Christ in order that we might share in his glory. First the cross, then the crown. That is the pattern there. And then Paul gives his own testimony in verses 6 through 7. If we are afflicted, we, the apostles, we, me and those with me, It is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. We know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Uh, Far from being a sign of, uh, of fraudulent claims to apostleship, his suffering is in fact what equips him to minister to the churches to which he ministers and writes and visits and serves. And Paul will go on more at length about his sufferings in this letter. So God comforts us that we might comfort others, to be ready and able to minister to others around us, to pass on the comfort we ourselves have received. But there's a second purpose that Paul mentions here, and that is that God brings us to an end of ourselves that we may rely on him. God brings affliction. He brings suffering into our lives. To put it bluntly, to kick the blocks out from under us, to take away our pride, to take away self-sufficiency, to take away any delusions that we can do it on our own and make us rely on him. Look at verses uh, 8 and following. 
Paul says, we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. Now, it's unclear what suffering exactly Paul is referring to here. Uh, The Corinthians were familiar to some degree with Paul's sufferings, but maybe not with the intensity of them. And Paul hints at that here without really describing what it was that they suffered, whether it was inner difficulty, whether it was persecution, a combination thereof, uh, suffering that he experienced, but then the growth that came through it. Look at the end of verse uh, 9 there. That was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul said we felt like we'd received a death sentence, but that was to teach us not to rely on ourselves, but to rely on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Paul was a very capable, competent, obviously physically strong man in terms of constitution to endure the kinds of things he did and keep on going. It would be very tempting to rely on himself, his education, his intellect, his abilities. And Paul says, God brought us to an end of ourselves. He reduced us, it seemed, to the point of death so that we would rely not on ourselves, but on God. So he describes his suffering and in his growth in in achieving a greater reliance and confidence in God, not in himself. And then 11, uh, verse 11, he, he mentions praise, prayer and praise. You must also help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Paul seeks their prayers. Because he seeks the praise of God in answer to their prayers. And so Paul mentions just two things here uh, that we need to remember when we are suffering difficulty uh, of whatever kind, but particularly when we are in the midst of severe pain of whatever sort, uh, or trials or afflictions or struggles, that the Lord comes to us and he comforts us in those things. He takes those times to prepare us and equip us and grow us in ways that he never could for the purpose of making us more useful in the kingdom and ministering to one another. But he also does that to reduce our confidence in ourselves and to enable us to rely on him, to rest on him, to count on him, to trust in God who raises the dead. Let's pray. Our Father, we recognize that you accomplish through suffering things that you could not accomplish in our lives in any other way. Father, in many ways, we have been cushioned, padded, insulated from the kinds of suffering that Paul endured and many Christians in the world even today endure, that of physical persecution for our faith. And yet, Lord, suffering is is universal, and we suffer in different ways the effects of life in a sinful and fallen world. But, Father, we pray that our hearts would be submissive to you, that we would pray, have thine own way, Lord, that our desire would be not so much for alleviation of the suffering, but to learn what you would have us to learn and to grow how you would have us to grow through and in the midst of the suffering. Lord, we pray that because of our grumbling or complaining, the lessons of trials would not be lost on us, but that we would learn by them and grow through them and be all the more useful in your kingdom. 
and for the praise of your name. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.